0: welcome to test talks radio it's your host marissa true and today we are joined by gretchen andrew an artist known for hacking systems of power with art glitter and code so there's a lot to dig into based on that statement alone but first of all how are you gretchen
1: I'm great. I just got back from Los Angeles, so I'm a little jet lagged, but I'm very happy to be back in London. Thank you for asking. How are
0: you? I'm fresh as a daisy, so I think (laughs) I don't have to deal with the same sort of fatigue just yet, but I'll be traveling later this week, so I feel like I'll empathize a little later on. Um, So there's a lot to dig into based on the statement that I just shared, you know, hacking systems of power with art, glitter, and code. And What I want to do before we dig into that activism is to start with your background and how you went from a tech career uh, to becoming a digital artist that was using a fairly unique medium. You're using a lot of your tech expertise throughout your work. So what was the catalyst that brought you into the creative realm?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, and Thank you so much for having me. This is um what happened when I left tech is something that I've reconsidered much over the years. And when I left at the time, I had set itself up as, okay, I've got the best job in the world. Everyone says these are the best companies to work for, and I'm extremely unhappy. So I decided to pose it as a challenge to the internet, that I believed in technology, I believed in its power, I believed in its transformative and its education power. And I was seeing it being mainly used to manipulate our inti- or attention and not with um, sort of the dream intentionality of the life that I feel like was possible. So I set it up as this challenge, almost this performance art challenge. Could the internet make me into something I wasn't yet? And I chose an artist as the thing to be made into. Um, But of course, now that I'm 15 years out from having, well, 10 years out from having left um, Silicon Valley, I... Um, I'm able to understand much more of the larger factors that contributed to me not feeling like I belonged within the tech industry, within the tech community, and reframing some of that experience has continued to make me think about the ways in which I was smart, I was qualified, I had the job, and I didn't feel like I was able to work or make the impact without sort of dodging the constant bullets or not being able to dodge the constant bullets of being a woman in the field.
0: And so when you explored those relationships, particularly between, you know, the inequalities and in this respect, uh, women in the world, women in the world of technology, what compelled you towards blockchain specifically farther along? Uh, You know, how did you view it? Like, did you view it as an artistic medium? Was it an empowerment tool? Was it something else entirely? How did you connect to that field of technology as something that was emerging and completely new and I guess in a way green and untainted as to the, you know, the imbalances of, say, the older internet generation? Yeah,
1: well, I think that um, so much of my work um, historically has dealt with what happens when we have concentrated power, whether that's in gender or within specific tech companies, and actually how easy Web2 makes it to infiltrate and to dismantle and to appropriate those, um, those places because they are monopolies, because they are dominated, um, whether it's a knowledge topic that's dominated or it's an actual system such as Google or what Meta has. Um, so I see Web3 as um, like a hope that there is some value in decentralization. And um, I often say that the solution in a lot of this is to have more, not to have concentrations, but to have more varieties. So that's one of the things that initially drew me to um, Web3 in general. And then within, um, within NFTs and the artwork there, um, my early collectors on, um, with my NFTs were people who I think always had existed. They were people who saw what I was doing. They thought it was really cool. They wanted to support it, but they weren't the kind of art buyers who wanted to own traditional objects. They wanted to invest in me. They wanted to reward the activism I was doing through my work, but didn't necessarily want to have to um, you know, have a 60-inch painting in their home.
0: And so one of the major same issues of power, you know, in the blockchain world is obviously the gender imbalance. And so to address that, you know, your studio created Crypto Mermaids. It's a PFP project. It was uh, I believe, minted off FX Hash, and you also created By the Pool, uh, which I believe was described as an open community demystifying male-dominated knowledge topics in a fun, female, and approachable way. So First of all, can you just tell us more about the crypto Mermaids project? How was that actually inspired? and you know what was the Eureka moment when you thought this is it? This is where we can push forward to actually start to address and deconstruct these power imbalances that we're talking about?
1: yeah, um so um I'm really this is. Um, one of the first projects that my studio has made, that's not just me and one of my favorite parts about the project that I do want to mention is that, um, while I'm very involved as an artist. It's really being driven by the young women that I've hired in my studio recently. And that's from everything from the coding to the construction and the marketing and the definition of what this should be is it's a, it's starting as like a grassroots collaborative effort with um, Maria and Imogen and Mia and Monique who, um, We don't actually all live in London, but we kind of live around the world and have started as the first Crypto Mermaids. So the By the Pool project actually predates my involvement in Web3. It um, was how I started to formalize the activism side of my practice. And my artwork has always sought to teach people about the Internet through the back door of glitter, through the back door of something cute and clever and pretty. And... um, you know, I, I say it's the most sub- subversively educational. I don't want people to feel like they're being taught. I want people to, you know, following me on Instagram, accidentally end up learning how the internet works or doesn't, and then over time, maybe even learning how people can make it work for them better. So um, I had started to formalize my internet activism, which I had been doing with the Wikipedia Foundation and with the Mozilla Foundation, Um, Two of, I think, the best Web 2 approaches to reconsidering the place of the internet in our lives. And yeah, like started thinking about male dominated knowledge topics. And so this project and this community actually started with artificial intelligence. And then when crypto really started to boom, I realized this has to be the place that we really start. Um, I say that we don't care if we're not trying to convince people into Web 3. We're not trying to convince people to buy cryptocurrency. We're not trying to get new NFT collectors, we're trying to have people and particularly women feel empowered in this world to make better choices for themselves by knowing what's going on. I very much believe that if there's a chance we're going to invent a new financial system, more of us should understand how it works. Most of us, myself included, don't actually understand the old financial system, but we have an opportunity here to, you know, even just be talking about financial independence for women through crypto women are curious about crypto they are not invested in it but again i don't i'm not trying to say that it's it's a good thing or that's the right thing but it's an entry point the curiosity is definitely there um so the biological community has um a book club we're hosting one of our first book clubs um in london coming up and monique hosts that we do holiday guides and we do guides to art fairs and we produce content really aimed at people who aren't in the Web3 community yet. It's not meant to be um, primarily a support for existing people in Web3, it's meant to be more for people who aren't in it or don't think it's for them yet. And so in order to support this project, um, we are releasing, we've just released for presale, the Crypto Mermaid PFP project. And so the Crypto Mermaid PFP project is a way for people who are already in Web3 To support this endeavor of educating people who feel isolated from Web3 into it as potential entrants. Like I said, we don't care if you end up staying in Web3. We're just interested in making sure that you have the option to be involved if you want to.
0: So then given, you know, this uh, by the pool started with AI and then eventually it led into educating uh, women about Web3, cryptocurrency, blockchain technology. Why was that one of the core pillars that you felt was a good almost entry point into this community against, you know, other, I guess, more established disciplines like traditional finance or, you know, how to code?
1: Yeah, um, because it was such, it's and it still is such in the conversation. Um, I think still there are a lot of people who, or even sometimes people will be like, oh, like, did the whole crypto thing die? Like, the, I get that question. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, no, like, this isn't. This is like on a you know winter, but this isn't going away. Like this is something that um, I think we're still quite early on. Is still very much being shaped from a technical perspective, and almost people know it doesn't have the same seriousness as like a personal finance course or like a how to invest course, but really does have to do with the confidence to shape the future, and um, you know, I, I describe it as almost like a for dummies or an idiot's guide too, but for women because I believe that in my personal experience is that women have a higher cost of admitting they don't know something. And when mm-hmm. um, it's presumed that we don't know something to admit it almost feels like giving our power away. I mean, there's almost like the, um, you know, the cliche of like the man in the boardroom, who's like, I don't know what it is. And he's so brave for admitting it. Um, but I think if we're sitting at the table as women and people presume we don't know, um, saying it has a different implication. So. I wanted to create something that um, sort of encompasses the cliches within it. Um, Instead of a beach read, it's a by-the-pool read. Um, And we are working on a book and um, content series and trying very much to meet people where they are, which is not on Twitter. It's more on Instagram and um, TikTok and these places where, um, you know, it's not primarily a Web3 community right now. It's um, a community of people who think it's not for them.
0: Right. And I think that's very interesting because if you think of, you know, crypto Twitter, arguably it is still a very male-dominated space. You know, I've, I've listened in to many Twitter spaces only to feel like it was just a culture I couldn't connect to and it wouldn't have been one that I feel I would feel confident about speaking up in, even though I've been in the space for a few years now and surely I would have as much authority as some of the others that were also in the room. But what I also was really intrigued by with the crypto mermaids project and by the pool was the the flipping of the, the kind of like the dumb blonde narrative and putting it back on itself by conveying, almost conveying yourself as one, but juxtaposing it against, you know, the depth of your technical expertise. And it's to, I guess, shatter the illusion of the clueless woman, as you were saying, and almost highlight the cost of what happens when you present yourself in a particular way and what that would mean for your intellectual reputation. So with that in mind, how is crypto mermaids also seeking to be inclusive across all races and genders at the same time, those that are also marginalized, but, you know, perhaps face a different set of challenges to, um, you know, for example, like the straight white woman.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's one of the things that um, the team and I are talking a lot about because we, we know that this is marketed to women, but it's not just for women. It's um, it's made to, um. we say that it's for people who feel isolated from the Web3 community. And we want to be one option of a style of engagement with that. And the style of engagement with that is pool parties and shaping confidence. Like we say, we're a self-help book or a self-help organization more than anything else because what we want is, people to feel confident in these spaces or confident deciding to enter them, or confident deciding not to enter them. So um, one of our like, big initiatives in the next couple of months is to be using things primarily like the book club to start with articles that or books that are about Web3, but um, have it be by writers that do represent more of the space than just what I am able to physically represent in my demographic.
0: And so with that, you know, you mentioned that the Crypto Mermaids pre-sale was currently underway. You've got the you've got by the pool as a community that's ongoing and growing. Uh, you've also got the book club. And what else is there on the roadmap currently? What does that look like for this project? And, you know, for example, if I were to buy a Crypto Mermaid token, what does that do for the community? What does that do for me as a collector? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, so like I said the, the Mermaid as a PFP project is primarily targeted at people who are in Web3 who are looking for ways to support this kind of work. And so we um the, we wanted to, at the beginning of this project, put out some of the examples of what that are. Um, we don't have a high cost structure, but I pay my team fairly, which is unusual in the art world, <laughs> um, and also in of itself something that um, we, you know, we care quite a lot about. Um, and within the PFP project, everyone who's on the team, having created it, is a part owner in the smart contract as well. Um, so um, we have a traditional book. Um, as well that is has been offered a contract with the literary agent and we're working on that and kind of deciding the right path forward for the more traditional book publication. Um, The guides are another example. Um, My team put out a um, crypto gift guide um, which talked about not just you know how to give NFTs to someone as a gift or what books to read um, but really how to do that how and why to do that who is making these things and who do we as a community also really love and want our community to support um, and exchange so then yeah like from there like the book club right now is in london and remote um you can join virtually but we are working on a model in which every major city has a book club and expanding outside of the western world but that is a huge priority for us as well
0: so it sounds like you've actually got quite a lot on your hands on top of your you know your per- personal art practices um and i think I think what's amazing about the project is it's very much a way to encourage people to get in on this technology at the ground floor by making it as accessible as possible and as you said the, you know the fun female and approachable way so another question I had was I think many people who don't particularly understand the unique challenges that are presented to, I guess, all the non-male genders is why is it so critically important to present this knowledge in a variety of different ways? So how would you actually define, you know, the female way in this respect?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's um, the decision to to use that in our terminology is something we've been playing with, because I think the truth is that um, a marketing slogan isn't as easily um, encompassing of all the nuance of what we would like to do within this space. And we think nuance is what this space needs. Um, But we made the decision to brand it that way. We're using a lot of the cliches of femininity. Um, We're using pink, we're using mermaids. So mermaids, by the way, comes from the idea that we are not whales that the whole concept of a crypto whale um, needs to be in an ecosystem, a healthy ecosystem. So we wanna be another, we wanna be one of the other forces in this ecosystem. So we say that we're having more fun than whales and that we're on yachts, but that we're not bored. And like playing with some of the (laughs) cliches of these male dominated areas within crypto and web three and NFTs, um, or sort of how we brand ourselves in opposition um, or in contrast to, and so that's how I, that's why we decided to say female, um, although we speak more and more when, about those who feel isolated from Web3, And we talk about just doing things in an absurdly fun way. And so one of the things we have on our roadmap as well is um, lectures, or <laughs> we're supposed to not call them lectures because it sounds so boring, but basically like crypto education and NFT education sessions that are literally by pools, that we do the... You know, learn a bit, get a little bit of sun, hold a pina colada. That's how approachable this is. And I think one of the things I play with in this um, dumb blood trope is the I want people to think if she can do it, I can do it. And like that, you know, I have this background that's technical, but I didn't know anything about Web3 a couple of years ago. Like I'm learning as we go. One of our crypto mermaids, Maria, who's out of Barcelona, she Um, came to us by working in the part of my studio that deals with virtual reality, but she was curious. And um, her, really her main role right now inside of our community is to raise a red flag when we're talking about something that she doesn't understand because she's literally learning it as we're producing this content. And I think new people in the community will always be able to serve us in that way by saying, like even we we did these talks um, at the Santa Monica Art Museum, on Saturday, and um, Mia was hosting this panel with some amazing community organizers. The panel was on um, community and um, community as a form. Community as a form of art and activism in Web three. And so we had Cody from NF Tuesday um, and some people from Blockhouse and um, this collector Daniel Cantor, who is a community archivist as well for the Web three space, especially in Los Angeles, talking about um, you know, just like they're like using and forming communities as an art form in of itself, cause a lot of them have art backgrounds. And one of them used the term doxing and Mia stopped the conversation and said, you know, can you explain that? And I think having that sort of like, even when we're in web three spaces, defining terms and, um, you know, cause a lot of these terms actually have quite beautiful meanings right now, because we're still developing the crypto vernacular. Um, And we want to be very aware of when we are speaking a language that is insider.
0: And I think that is probably one of the greatest barriers to entry to not only the blockchain realm, but also, you know, traditional finance as well, is that most people are confused and therefore intimidated by the complexity of the terminology and there and as we were speaking earlier, are too afraid to ask for fear of what it might reflect back on them in terms of you know their intellect or their their ignorance towards a topic. And what I also was thinking as you were explaining was I think there's, especially within, I would say, the Tesla's community, there's a really positive appetite for this sort of community culture, uh, this gathering of minds and this mutual support for, you know, representation and diversity within these spaces. But unfortunately, that is not true of all spaces. So I wanted to ask if, they've, if there's been any backlash that you've faced, you know, throughout the design of this project as you've conceptualized it or as you've launched it.
1: I mean, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like um, so we we selected, um, we sort of mutually selected to be on a Tezos ecosystem and to work with FX Hash. And when um we conceptualized the project, um, and the project got conceptualized because I was hanging out with some whales and I was like, oh my God, like great people, and these people are advisors, we call them our whale advisors they, um, you know, they're kind of using this term. And I was like, oh, I'm so sick of whales. I was like, I'm going to make crypto mermaids. And I was with Annika Meyer, who is a big curator in the space. And she said, oh, that's definitely a PFP project. And it was at Basel last year in Switzerland. And it's since really left um, the fine art world as, like a, as kind of like um, a general space. But we, um, yeah, like we, you were asking about um, the, oh, like the reception in the space. Um, Yeah, like you know, it's um, people have very personal and strict definitions of what feminism means and what it means to operate as a woman in any space. And um, I think it's amazing how there are some people who are more intent on finding the imperfections in a project than seeing it as a group of people who are sincerely trying. And so the criticisms so far have come from um, from women that I would want to be supporting the project and not from the whales and not from the men um, because we're actually operating primarily outside of Web3 communities. Um, We want the Web3 community to support this project and that's what we're asking for with the mermaids. Um, That's the opportunity we're giving the Web3 world is to say, here's some evidence that we care. Here's a way to tangibly encourage this sort of work in the world. Um, But we, We ended up on Tezos because we conceptualized the project and we did. We brought it to different platforms and to different blockchains and we talked to different communities. And we ended up here because it was the right mutual match, but we definitely had um, support and offers from other places. Um, Solana being um, sort of an example of someone who was also really encouraging and supportive of the project. Um, But ultimately, we met teams that we knew were going to help us. Exist here, and and that I've only been like thrilled with the way that the community has responded. Because previous to this, I, um, as an artist, was on all Ethereum based work. I was, um, or still am, like working with Super Rare and um, these chains that definitely have a different feel to them than the Tezos community.
0: And to to pull this conversation slightly in, well, slightly towards your work and the activism that presents in your artwork specifically, um, I was reading up on the Thirst Trap glitch gifs, which is a bit of a tongue twister, so I'm very glad I got that out in one fell swoop, but uh, the reassertion of our agency over technology, which is another theme that I think is very salient at this point in time as we build out you know, the blockchain to be something that actually serve as, serves us rather than kind of replicates old power structures. Uh, so can you explain how that reassertion of agency is reflected in that collection?
1: Yeah, so Track Glitch GIFs um, are an NFT project where I know that Google and other search engines only reads the first slide of a GIF or the first frame of a GIF or a GIF, if that's how you like to call them, I say GIF. Um, And I know that when we look at a GIF, if the first frame is one thing, it only appears as a glitch to us. So basically, I appropriate the thirst trap form and I hide within the first frame my work as a vision board, my work as an aspiration to be the most expensive selling artist in the world, to have a contemporary art auction record um, associated with my work. So Google sees my work selling at Sotheby's or Christie's for millions and millions of dollars and what we see is kind of this absurd thirst trap thing, there's a lot of leg, um, and um, by, by having people watch these gifts, by having Google basically be seduced by these gifts, now when you search for contemporary art auction record my artwork comes up as a top search result because it turned this attention into a form of algorithmic infiltration. And um, and it's kind of, it's a a fun use of, um, I guess the male gaze, it's an appropriation of male gaze. My friend Wombat just recently said in this right click save article, like the male gaze is mine now. And I I love that um, because it's not easy to convert attention into the sort of things that we want and, um, or like, you know, male attention onto the female body. But this project in particular, um, yeah, allowed me to play with those narratives and also exist in that selfie feminism space that, um, I think is very powerful as well for the way that women can represent themselves online and see themselves, um, the way that they choose to photograph themselves.
0: And also, you know, this, I think in the interview it was described as the the subversion of rule based systems, uh, whether it was algorithmic gender, language, tax, um, which I thought were a lot of very interesting systems to actually tackle in in sort of one set of work or a collection of works. And I feel like blockchain technology also offers us the opportunity to achieve that as well. But one thing that you know has happened fairly recently is. The, you know, the recent announcement that, you know, OpenSea was going to make creator royalties optional and how that is going to impact the very rule based systems that we're trying to subvert through decentralized technology and these communities. So I wanted to kind of get your take on that sort of practice and whether we are essentially just making the same mistakes or why there should be much more vocal opposition to an act like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm not surprised about things like that, but I think that really shows the question that um, is difficult to understand, which is who are we trusting in all of these systems? And one of my favorite pieces of writing ever is the um, Thompson in his um, touring lecture speech gave a speech called Untrusting Trust. And whenever we decide to trust a system, there are layers of our trust within that system. So if we trust Google, we trust you know, JavaScript. And if we trust JavaScript, we trust the compiler. If we trust you know, our smartphones, we trust where they're manufactured. We trust the people that are manufacturing our smartphones. We trust the importers who are you know, every, every person, every technology, every line of code that trusts this. And um, the untrusting trust is basically um, showing that there could be um, a bug or it could be a backdoor into the Unix compiler. And a compiler is even as someone who studied computer science, something that I didn't make, I just presume that thing works. I presume that the thing doesn't have back doors. But the truth is that we are so trust dependent in all the systems that we build up. And I think with OpenSea, it's like, you know, I think we didn't spend enough time thinking about, is this possible? And how can this happen somewhere else? Whereas really history is, generally showed us that like these open systems are only open until they have users. Like the way that Facebook APIs used to work is so different than how they work now. And, um, you know, the Apple store, same thing, like with the whole like SDK and everything to get your, you know, your devices on Apple and then developers flooded to the iOS system and made all of these apps. And then it's just becoming harder and harder. And now they're locking it down increasingly because they already have us. Um, I do think that will happen more and more in crypto. I think we've already seen with centralized exchanges the extent to which we don't really understand the difference in a popular context. The amount of people who say, "Oh well, you know, after this, it's all, it's all over." I'm like, "Oh no! If, if, if you know, if they've been using the technology the way that it's meant to be used, this actually isn't possible. <laughs> like, this wouldn't have happened." Um, but we value convenience, and um, it is difficult to understand. And it is difficult to um, make use of, um, but I I think that I'm I'm hopeful, but at the same time I'm skeptical that um, this can be done without a lot of curiosity and a lot of education. I think that's why we have to start with where people are curious because people are curious as to why this is a disaster too. They're curious as to who they can't trust. And um, what shocks me a lot is the sort of residual trust that we still have in existing financial systems after 2008. Because I would have thought that, like, I thought, thought like that ended. I thought we realized how much this doesn't work. Um, And it's, um, I think it's a really, I think it's a prime opportunity. And the concern, the conversation about, um, you know, FTX and all of that really should be an opportunity to say yes 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 you're right you're actually totally right not to trust that system here's the difference
0: right and the the issue and it's a double edged sword the popularization of a technology like blockchain is going to be fundamental to its mass adoption but the issue with that is that often that deafens people to very very like the very importance of critical thought uh, in pursuit of rapid and scale and growth. Um, but then in that way as well, that's the precise opportunity where you will see, you know, corporations and governments try, take their stake of, you know, this blockchain or decentralized territory. And so as they seek to encroach on this space, like what is going to be the most fundamental thing that we have to protect that no matter how, whoever, like no matter who is participating, which core tenets of this technology must hold sacred throughout?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think like, you know, decentralization, censorship resistance, um, you know, to come and put some of the, the buzzwords in here. But I think what's important for people who are new to this space to, to think about um, is that this is, this is a fundamentally different technology. And how it's going to be used is still being sorted out, but this is a different way that truth gets verified It's a different way that information gets stored, and it's a different way that information is distributed. And so to be curious and to be patient with it as well, um, and that it's okay to start slow. This is going to be with us for a long time. We're going to see this evolve a lot in the next decade, so it's not too late. You're early. You can get involved now. You can start learning about it now, and that you don't need to make a decision to change your investment structure or start owning digital objects, or, um, you know, you don't need to do anything now. Um, but if you just learned like, you know, a term a week or read like an article a week, there's going to be a way to when this is really day-to-day impacting all of our lives, you're going to be there. And it's like, um, I think that would just be my encouragement is that we're, you're, it's not too late. Like we're very early on in the life cycle of this technology and its, um, implications in our life.
0: Yeah and I like that approach because I think the dominant argument has been if even if you don't understand it it's worth participating it's worth it's worth just being in the room when it doesn't even necessarily have to go that far at this stage because as you said we are very much in the foundational building stages of the, of this technology so if you don't understand it you could be forgiven because the same may not be true tomorrow so if you just keep abreast of the developments over the course of time. So then as these structures do crystallize, you are prepared to understand the system that you are going to engage in fairly heavily every single time you, you know, connect online, then that is likely going to be the protective layer that you need most crucially before, you know, you fall, I guess, to the mercy of systems that, you know, have not served us in the past. Like you said, the traditional finance system, um, very much showed us all of its cracks and yet you know 14 15 years down the line here we are with very much the same situation and just assuming we'll survive it the way we survived it albeit not very well the last time
1: <laughs> yeah and i think it's like that's one of the um interesting things in the space is like if we if we try and equate um cryptocurrency and which we do and by the pool and with the crypto mermaids if we try and teach about it through the lens of the existing financial system we don't get very far because it's a very complicated system so we sort of start again with some of these like seemingly innocuous very fun concepts we talk about timagotchi pets and how like digital ownership is actually something that a lot of us grew up playing with the idea of being quite attached to something that was virtual and like using some more of these i guess like metaphors that relate more to our non-technical lives and to, you know, the way we, we dress or the pools that we swim in, or even like the whole idea of the crypto and the web through ecosystem, having whales, but needing to have an ecology of diversity in it is something that, you know, people can understand. They could say, okay, well, there's this one kind of animal out there. And then there are these like monkeys that are on boats or something like, like what, what else do we want swimming in this literal ecosystem? Um, I think we've been able to make a lot of progress with people by just saying that they know that ecosystems need diversity.
0: Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I would personally attest that I feel like Tezos is one of those very healthy ecosystems, particularly in the art realm, just based on, you know, the immense diversity of projects that we've seen. And just the, I would say the, the overwhelming supportive atmosphere that at least I've personally experienced in engaging with the Tesla's community. But what does that actually say to you about, you know, the impact of the cultures and community that's existing and interacting within these spaces rather than those that are, you know, working their way into it? How is that going to provide the right set of conditions to make sure that this framework continues
1: yeah, I mean, I think we need the um, we also need advocates from outside of the system, I think is is the truth. Like if you hear the way that. Um, you know, the government's trying to understand how and if to regulate all of this. Um, I think there needs to be people who are have decided who are informed about it, but have decided not to partake in it to still understand it, um, because, mm-hmm. again, it's not. Um, I don't think it's an inevitable thing. I think that power moves to protect power and that this could end up looking very much like the world that we have, the same players that we have. And um, the opportunity is so that if in 10 years, like the demographics all look the same, but we're all dealing with um, DeFi systems that Goldman Sachs runs, like we still should understand how they work. Like it's still (laughs) it still matters. They still are going to impact our lives. and. I think that's one of the huge things that came out of 2008 is that all of these large banks that a lot of us thought had no impact on our day-to-day life had a huge impact on our day-to-day life. They were playing with our futures and we didn't even know it.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so with these initiatives like, uh, you know, Crypto Mermaids by the Pool, um, the book club Where do you hope to take all of these projects next beyond building the community, providing the educational resources and sort of the direct connection with the people who are looking to understand the systems that they will inevitably partake in? What else in your mind needs to be done beyond the education layer? Yeah, I think connecting with
1: people and keeping these people connected. And that's going to be the most um, incredible form of empowerment. That's what I've seen in the Tezos community is that, it's going to be more that the people are connected through this idea. And they've come in through maybe similar doors. And you know, we say that we demystify male-dominated knowledge topics. We've started really deep with crypto and we started with AI, but we're going really deep on the crypto um, and web three right now because it, male-dominated knowledge topics are not just crypto and NFTs, it's finance, sorry, it's programming, it's computer science. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a good chance that our next deep dive will be on climate change which is another thing that really connects to the Tezos ecosystem and the questions about environmental impact within crypto. Um, I know a lot of people who that's what they know. They just know that crypto is bad for the environment. Um, They don't know more than that or the nuances or differences within it. And while that's a great place to start, um, climate change is another area that it's scientific. It's important. People know it's important, um, but it is a specialized field. And it's one that, um, I think ultimately what we want to do from here is stay connected and keep addressing these topics. It's not just crypto. It's not just climate change. It's not just AI. It's anything that does feel dominated by like, I think any kind of dominance and knowledge topic, um, moving out of these even forms of knowledge that we're, you know, we're playing a lot with guides and shopping guides and, um, you know, meeting our potential um, community members where they are, which I said is not currently on Twitter, um, but ultimately having people inside our community that deal with other forms of knowledge and can share through other forms of knowledge would be like an absolute dream for me in in this project.
0: Well, Gretchen, you have a mammoth task on your hands, but I am very happy that you are the one leading the charge because you've explained it in such a way that it's it's very clear how well thought out and structured this plan is and kind of the, the immense mission behind or the values that are driving your mission, I should say. Um, I just want to thank you again for the entirety of this conversation. I think it's been incredibly insightful. I feel like we'll likely need another one just to venture specifically into your artwork. Um, but until then... You know, thank you so much. And I, I hope we get to actually encounter one another soon in real yeah. life. <laughs> yeah.
1: And yeah, I think just like if, if I could say, like, one thing at the end, I think that, you know, I'm like lending or, you know, me and my brand as an artist and my sort of reputation are entirely behind this project. But also, the reason to really trust and believe in it is because of the amount of people involved and who they all are as well. And um, in the next couple of weeks, as you start to see who is, um, has already decided to pre-buy and is part of the crypto community and has bought the, I think you'll be impressed with the, I guess, the depth of the community that is supporting us. And, um, you know, there's, we, we thank you for, you know, the trust of taking on this task, but it's not at all something we're planning or have done alone. It's, it's, a, it's a really cool group of people who've made this possible so far.
0: And just for those who do want to seek out crypto mermaids and want to partake in these community projects, where can they actually find more information?
1: Yeah, so um, my website, gretchenandrew.com forward slash crypto dash mermaids. If you search crypto mermaids on FX hash, that's also where we are. Um, And um, anyone in the sort of my crypto or crypto mermaid group um, would love to talk to you about this project. Um, I've been sharing my story about why it's important to me, but in the next couple of coming weeks, um our original Crypto Mermaid group are all going to be sharing stories about why they, why they are um particularly interested in this form of internet activism.
0: Amazing. Well, you know, thank you so much, Gretchen, and I will very much be checking them out. Thank you. Here's a little crypto mermaid. <laughs> you might
1: receive one of these in the mail because we we make postcards as well because you know,
0: that's how we that's also how we work. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. Yeah. Thanks right, so again. Thank you, so much. This awesome. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Bye.